Tales from Mortimer Poe. Mortimer Poe, the half-dead raven, is a distant cousin to Hunan and Munin, the ravens that bring tales of the world to Odin. But Mortimer, born outside the window of Edgar Allan Poe, only brings tales of worlds that aren't real to the ears of those who want to explore alternate realms of possibility. Today, Mortimer brings you the tale of The Problem with the Apocalypse. I unstacked the firewood from my cart, piling it in small bundles on the ground where my customers could easily grab it after they paid. I left the small pile of coal and the dried horse dung where it was. I would get a better price for coal when I got to a real city, where people sometimes had stoves to burn it. The dung, well, that wasn't worth much around here. Too many cows created a competing supply. I'd trade that further west where they needed it for fertilizer instead of heat. Meantime, I could use the dung for my cooking fires instead of burning my valuable stock of wood. The gathering crowd seemed better fed than the last bunch. I hadn't been to this village in a while. Hopefully they had something more than a few potatoes or limp celery to trade this late in the year. I moved my eyes away from the woman with the basket of eggs so she wouldn't catch me looking at it. I hoped she'd haggle with me for the chicken. I missed eating chicken. I reached under my cart and pulled out a folding stool. First things first. I settled myself on the stool as more villagers appeared. Empty hands, though, so they came for the story. Without powered screens or functioning radios, people were desperate for any kind of entertainment. Traders usually had a new tale for the beginning of every route, along with bringing the news but I always told the same story. The apocalypse started quietly, I told them. There were no booms, no crashes, just a couple of beeps no one heard but me. Not that I knew what the beeps meant, mind you. All I thought was, wow, that's weird. Yeah, I know, stupid. But nothing ever beeped at the Bloomtown power plant. Nothing made noise at all. I'd been going nuts because my radio gave out that day, so the whole place was silent. I watched dials, which didn't move. There wasn't even anyone else working there. I'd been so excited when I first got the job. I mean, where else did you get paid to do nothing? So anyway, the console starts beeping. I didn't see a light anywhere, and the dials didn't look any different. And who would know that better than me? So I did what the employee manual said to do if anything strange happened. I called my manager. Carl? What? Carl had a real important job, and he was always gruff when people called him on the telephone, because it interrupted his very important work. Whatever that was. The console's beeping, Carl. He didn't say anything for so long. I thought maybe he hung up thinking I was playing a joke on him. Some of the other plant operators did that when they got bored, but I never had. Finally, he said, Beeping? As in, making noise? Yeah. I heard papers in the background. That's not in my procedures, Carl said. Okay, short-term fix. Try kicking the console. 
What? I said. Maybe there's just a loose wire or something. Try kicking the console and see if it goes away. I kicked the base of the console. My foot thumped heavily against the case. Nothing. Then I kicked it a few more times for good measure. Beeping didn't skip or even change pitch. All I got was a sore foot, since I only wore sneakers that day instead of the steel-toed shoes I was supposed to wear. No change, I reported back. I could press one of these buttons. No, Carl said. Operators aren't allowed to touch the buttons without specific direction from an engineer. Do we have an engineer? I asked. I've never seen one here at the plant. I laid him off three years ago during budget cuts, Carl said. I haven't been able to get funding approved for a replacement yet. He sighed. I'm going to have to order the operations manual. It's got the troubleshooting guide in the back. How long will that take? Carl groaned. I have to fill out the order form in triplicate and submit it to my supervisor, who will have to approve it and put out an interdepartmental memo to locate the manual. I've never heard of anyone actually having to use it before. Say, two weeks? But we didn't have two weeks. We had 20 minutes. I'd just finished composing a song in my head using the beeping as a backbeat when the phone rang. I stopped air drumming with my fingers and picked it up. Hey, your console still beeping? Carl asked. Yeah, it's still beeping. You find the manual? No. Marcus just called from Cloverville. His is beeping, too. No kidding. His dials move at all? Carl sighed. No, just like you. I'm going to have to escalate the problem to a Tier 3 situation, see if we can get an engineer from another district in to look at the problem. I'd like you and Marcus to be in on the conference call. Sure, no problem. I sat, singing my song to the beeping while I waited for Carl to call back. But the song wasn't really that great, so I stopped. If anything, the monotonous beeping got to be even more annoying than the utter silence had been. When I couldn't take it anymore, I got a whole bunch of paper towels from the bathroom and layered them over the console to muffle the noise. The beeping kept droning on, worse than my smoke detector. I got rid of the smoke detector when it drove me nuts, but the console was bolted to the floor. As I searched for a screwdriver to take more drastic measures, the phone rang. I put a finger in the opposite ear from the phone, hoping to drown out the stupid beeping. On the line, we have the operator of the Bloomtown plant and Marcus Tannock, operator of the Cloverville plant. Carl's voice trailed off into a few muttered hellos. I hear the beeping in the background. Is that coming from the console? A deep voice I didn't recognize came across the line. Yes, sir, Marcus and I said in unison. His console and mine kept up a slightly offbeat chorus in unison for a few beats, then slowly alternating before starting back towards synchronicity. And you have no idea why they're doing that. No, sir, I said. Marcus stayed quiet. Carl swore as his pager started beeping. It's Coolidge, he said to everyone in general. 
I'll be right back. This is a disaster, the deep voice said. It's just so unnerving, said another voice, female this time. It's been 600 years since anything went wrong with a power plant. Over a thousand since the last time we heard from the alien race that gave them to us. What if they stop working? Now, Monique, let's not be alarmist. We're not sure the beeping actually means anything, the voice insisted. It could be nothing. It could have nothing to do with the power. Maybe it needs its thousand-year cleaning. Carl came back on the line, announced by the thumps and bumps as he clumsily maneuvered his receiver back into his hand. Coolidge is beeping, too. I've called the Department of Energy to request a new manual. They don't have one. They asked us to send ours, if we're ever able to find it. They threw theirs out 22 years ago to save on storage costs. Someone's got to have one somewhere, I said desperately. The noise is driving me crazy. And we should find out what's happening in case it's important, Monique pointed out. She sounded a little snotty about it. Yeah, that too, I snotted right back at her. I'll call the National Archives. There should be one preserved there, right? I bet they could get us images of the pages in an hour. Good idea, Carl said. See if you can get in touch with them. I've got to check back in with the department head at Energy. Everyone else, just stay on the line. I don't want to have to track you all down if Energy has questions. But we didn't have an hour. We had ten minutes. You know that awkward silence you get on the phone when you're all still on the line but no one's talking? Well, that happened. We all waited awkwardly while the deep voice guy switched to the other line and tried to call the National Archives. I was glad he was doing it because I had no idea how to call the National Archives or what to say to them if I did. The only thing on the line now was the synchronizing and desynchronizing of the beeps between Bloomtown and Cloverville. What if he can't get it? Monique said into the beeping. Don't be stupid, Marcus said. Something like that doesn't just get lost. Are you sure? Monique said. Because you'd think at least one person would know how a power plant works, but I've never heard of anybody who did. What if the power plants are broken? What if... I knew Carl came back on the line before he spoke from all the huffing and puffing that came through louder than Monique's awful questions. Everyone still there? Carl asked, his voice squeaking. I'd never heard anybody's voice really squeak before. Today, I would have recognized the sound as meaning Carl was terrified but at that time I'd never known anyone who'd experienced enough terror to change their voice. Energy found a copy of the manual. They can't find any mention of beeping at all. Whatever that indicator is, we have to assume the worst. We were all silent. This was epic. I mean, they said we were there in case anything went wrong but you never really think one day it actually will and that you'll be sitting in the middle of the biggest disaster of the century. And I didn't know what to do. By their silence, nobody else did either, not even Carl. You think there'd be a protocol or a plan or a procedure or something, 
You'd think the boss would know what it is. But Carl was just as clueless as the rest of us. We should evacuate, Monique said. I don't know. For now, everything seems to be under control, Carl said. That's because no one knows about it yet, Monique pointed out. Word gets out, and we'll have a massive panic on our hands. Word doesn't need to get out. The deep voice was back on the line. Informing the public would be premature at this stage. Premature, Monique said. We don't actually know what the beeping means. Could just be a routine maintenance indicator. Likely only an alert that a part needs to be replaced. And what are we going to tell the TV stations when they ask why we're evacuating? His voice rose in a high, mocking lilt. Well, there's this beeping at the power plant. And what does that beeping mean? We don't know, but everyone should drop what they're doing and leave right away. Sounds just a little stupid, don't you think? It just doesn't seem right to keep it to ourselves, Monique mumbled. We should do something. I nodded to myself. Something. I just had no clue what. Not that it mattered. There was no time left. The control room went dark. No booms, no popping, nothing to mark the end but a quiet darkness. The phone ran off the plant's power supply, so it cut out along with the power. Inside the plant, everything was pitch black. Bloomtown didn't have windows. I stood up, suddenly cut off from the entire world. Even with everything I knew, I was thinking it was only my power plant that blacked out, that I'd get outside and see the rest of the world going on as usual. I stumbled down the corridors, trying to feel my way to the exit. It seemed to take forever in the dark. I found a door and opened it, but the cool, slick feel of tile under my fingers told me I'd stumbled the wrong way down the hall and ended up in the bathroom. I reversed course. Creeping down the hall, I finally rounded a corner where a little light from the outside peeked under the door. I ran, blinking, when I got into the brightness of the sun. The silence outside was nothing like the silence of the plant before the beeping started. Things moved around me, though I heard very little. Birds flew overhead noiselessly. Tree limbs in the distance waved. Though the Bloomtown power plant had been built well outside the city for safety reasons all those centuries ago, the city had grown towards it enough for me to see the outskirts clearly from the patch of grass surrounding the building. The city, too was quiet. No cars moved, no lights shone, nothing happened. I could faintly make out the tiny silhouettes of people standing on the streets, but the silence persisted. That was what finally drove it home. The power wasn't going to come back on. Ever. How could it? No one remembered how to fix the plants, and we couldn't contact that alien race now even if we knew how, which we didn't. And the fact that everything was still off meant the other plants had gone down too. The entire world had gone dark, with no way to bring the power back. 
I dithered, standing on the walkway that led out to the parking lot. What was I supposed to do now? I went to my car and opened the door, intending to drive into town, before I remembered that the car drew its power off the grid, too. So instead, I sifted through the collection of junk in the back seat, packing a blanket and a couple of old candy bars into a backpack I hadn't gotten around to cleaning out of the trunk yet. I needed to get into town and get some supplies before everyone else figured out the power wasn't going to come back on. Once the panic started, who knew what might happen? I needed to figure out how to survive. You know what I think, I said to the crowd. I think they did it on purpose. Those aliens? They gave us a great thing and we got dependent on it kind of addicted. So even though we had all sorts of technology of our own, we stopped using ours, like they knew we would. After the power plants shut down, we just couldn't do anything. Billions of people plunged right back into the Stone Age. Sure, we knew how to make engines, but we hadn't refined any fossil fuels for centuries. Didn't have anything to run the factories. No tools to make new stuff. Nothing but some descriptions and a few books left that you didn't need power screens to read. Remember how those aliens used to talk about how beautiful this planet is? All the life forms, all the natural resources, all the water. Maybe they weren't just being polite. Maybe they really meant it. I think the beep was part of a signal to tell them that the power plants were shutting down. I think they're on their way back, right now. And when they get here, they're going to take all the stuff they told us they liked so much when they visited the first time. We shouldn't have trusted them when they said that they were giving us something for free. A few of the older ones in the crowd nodded, but the younger ones seemed bored. I tamped down my irritation at their indifference as my first customer shuffled forward, carrying a basket full of onions, radishes, and beets. I haggled well enough to get a good portion of the contents of the basket. More than she had been intending, I could tell. The next guy had the predictable potatoes, small but firm, with a thick skin. I let him take a little bundle. It might keep him warm enough to survive for the night. I couldn't think about that now. Mostly in these little towns, the people helped each other out. I forced myself to believe his neighbors would make sure he didn't freeze or starve. Last came the lady with the basket of eggs. She jutted her chin toward the largest bundle of oak I had. Three eggs. I opened my mouth to haggle, but I saw a watch attached to a cord hanging around her neck. Old tech. Five, I said. And that watch. She put a hand over the timepiece. This? Don't work no more. Still, I said. She eyed me for a long moment, then shrugged and untied the cord. I took it from her as she dipped her hand into the basket to get my eggs. I squeezed it for a moment before I stowed the watch in my inside vest pocket. I got out the wood piece I'd carved into a carton shape. She put the eggs on it and gathered her wood bundle. 
I should have tried for the chicken, I muttered after she left. But my heart wasn't in it. I had what I wanted. To get old tech, I'd settle for my chicken in pre-chicken form. I packed up the last of my wood and set off down the road toward the next town, my hand covering the pocket watch. Maybe there was something I could learn from it before the aliens came back. The problem with the apocalypse, I sighed as I watched the sky, is that it's not the end of the world. <coughs> Mortimer's Tale, The Problem with the Apocalypse, was written by Erica Kaler. Mortimer's narrator for this tale was Erica Kaler. This tale first appeared in Creepy Campfire Quarterly Number 5, available on Amazon.com. Sound effects were sourced from freesoundslibrary.com. <laughs>